Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. As we celebrate Christ the King Sunday, we finish our series, What About?, by asking questions, what about other religions? While we will differentiate numerous religions, we will discover our relationships with those who are different are the most important ways of living in faith. We live in a connected world, correct? As we've become more connected, more integrated, more global, we have come to know the knowledge of other religions, of other belief systems, of other philosophies. And as we have come to the recognition that there are these other religions, you start to wonder, well, what about what I believe? And what's the relationship with these other beliefs? And how are we to go about all this? And what is the difference? You also might get your head spinning around the fact that there are so many traditions and denominations even within the faith of Christianity. <laughs> Anybody ever feel that way? Why is there a church down the way that's a different name than this church here, right? And we, as a church of the Nazarene, come from a certain lane. And we're going to discuss how that lane happened a little bit later. But when you begin to look at all this, you start to wonder, okay, am I believing the right thing? Is this pathway the correct way? Or is all of it going to end up in the same place? Like, how does this all work? And so today, we're going to just simply have a small crash course on the questions of what about religion, other religions, what about other traditions, all these different kinds of things. Because guess what? I could give you a college-level syllabus, and we could talk about this for 10 straight weeks, and we still wouldn't cover all the different religions, and we still wouldn't cover all the differences, and we still wouldn't cover all these things. But the key, I think, to all of this is answering the question, how do we relate to those who think differently than us? those who believe and live differently from all of us. And I think the beautiful thing is that Christ the King Sunday offers that perfect reminder that our way is Jesus' way. And we have to remember that in that moment. So, the two questions that are going to guide, actually more than two questions, that are going to guide our conversation are these. Why are there different religions? Why are there so many denominations and traditions in Christianity? And then this very, very, it, like, ground, reality-smashing question, do we need religion? <laughs> and, uh, and we're going to answer all of them and then some. So the first question, though, why are there different religions? I believe... I believe that when I say this, I'm not wrong. I, don't, I think all of us have this on some level. Humans are always looking for connection, for purpose, a way of living, morality. They're looking for something beyond themselves. I think every single one of us has that. I really do. And if you ask anybody, people seek that connection in different ways. 
Because of this universal experience that we are looking for connection, purpose, and a way of living beyond ourselves, some people put a name to that. I would like to call it being a spiritual being. We are looking to connect. We are looking beyond ourselves for an understanding of how to live life, what this life is about, why this life is, all of these different kinds of things. And it's in this need, and it's in this desire that religions often come about. When you ha have a universal experience, a universal desire of that connection, of looking beyond yourselves, naturally, where you live and who you're with and what you know and what your history is, yada, 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 will determine what kind of religion you end up having. And if you go throughout all of history, religion arises out of that desire to connect, that desire to know, that desire to live. Sometimes a religion will arise out of a culture. Sometimes it will arise out of, hey, do you see this thing in the world? It's amazing. Maybe we should worship it. <laughs> Seriously. Sometimes a religion will arise out of a universal need, not just in connection, but also like food or having kids. So there are all kinds of ancient religions. Some are talked about within Scripture, some aren't talked about in Scripture. But here's, here's some of the different lines that are. There's ancient religions that worship deities for food, for, for fertility, for all these different kinds of things. And what you would have to do is, in order to receive these things, you would have to do a ditty to make that God happy. So you'd have to do a practice. You would have to do, if I do this, this God will give me what I need. And this is actually accounted for, especially in Scripture, whenever you hear about the God Baal. Baal was a fertility God. But even more than that, if you look around the ancient religions around the world, away from the Middle East, you think about South American tribes like Aztecs or Incas. They had their own religion that you must do this so that the God would be happy. Now that concept is, it is based on me doing the right thing so that God would give. That's what that religion is based off of. It's almost... A manipulation of sorts. If I do all the right things, then God will do that, right? This God will do that. This God will do that. Hinduism has a little bit of this. Animism has this. Pantheism has a bit of this. And if you're saying, what are these isms? We're not going to cover it. I'm just sharing with you the number of different places that this is found. But then there is not, there's also philosophies that don't necessarily have a deity to appease. It's a kind of philosophy to come to peace with life and to have tranquility, almost an enlightenment. And these philosophies are from the Far East, not the Mideast, the Far East. Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism. They don't necessarily, like there are some pieces of Buddhism where they worship Buddha as a god, but other pieces of Buddhism, they do not see him as a god, they just see him as a sage. But again, all of this is about 
believing and coming to terms with everything, it's based in human, it's, it's based in human action to get to that place, to get to that enlightenment and all those different sorts. And then you have all the other stuff, like Greek and Roman deities, which, whew, wow. <laughs> if you get into that, <laughs> you're like, those are gods? Yeah, they're, they're pretty messed up, aren't they? Uh, <laughs> you have religions that come out of the observations of stars and planets. You have religions that come from people who have a dream one night. And they say, I have the vision, and I have written this down, and this is the way forward. These are all sources of different religions. This is why we have different religions in the world. It comes from human action looking for beyond. And if that's the case, then I think it's safe to say that every human being is inclined to worship something. Even if you don't believe that there's a God, you are looking beyond for some type of solidarity, some type of peace beyond yourself. I mean, think about it. If you go to somebody and say, don't you see it like this? And you say, yes. Don't you get this feeling of like, oh yeah, somebody gets where I'm at. This makes sense. That's really what this is. The interesting part of it is, is that the Bible, which is the source of all of our teachings about a particular God, assumes that reality. Everybody is inclined to worship something. The Bible does not have any, like, in no way did it expect that there is no God. All the writers of the Bible are speaking about a particular God. And that this God is a little bit different than everything else that we're talking about. And so the God of Judaism and Christianity and Islam, we'll get to that here in a second, is different. Is different than any other gods where you are looking to manipulate. We'll come back to the Islam question in a moment because it deals with a moment when God meets Abraham. We're going to come back to that. But God who shows himself to be is really, really, you really get to understand who God is in the story of Exodus. Exodus really is the defining moment for Israel. Israel always goes back to Exodus, always goes back to the covenant, always. If you read Exodus on, it's always back to this God saved you. And he picked you out. And what we're going to discover is, is that the reason why this God is different is because instead of a concept of human action or trying to do it, actually God starts everything. I read this quote and I want to share it with you. And you're going to experience it here as we read from Exodus here in a moment. If God wouldn't have loved enough to start the conversation, there wouldn't have been a conversation. There wouldn't have been Israel. There wouldn't have been church. There wouldn't have been any of this. And you begin to really recognize that when God identifies who, I, who he is 
and how people, his people who he saved, are to relate with him. So we're going to go to Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 2. If you know your scripture, this is the Ten Commandments. This is the defining way of life for Israel. And this is what God says to Israel. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He's explicit. I am the God who saved you. He identifies who he is. And then he begins to give command. You must have no other gods before me. I want you to notice something here too. Does God say, there aren't other gods? No. He's actually saying, there are plenty of other belief systems around you. Don't go to them. You're not going to have any of these other gods. Don't bring them with you. Don't bring this idea that you can manipulate an idol and think that you can manipulate me. You can't. I'm a different god than all of this. So you must have no other gods before me. He continues. Do not make an idol for yourself, no form whatsoever, of anything in the sky above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow down to them or worship them because I, the Lord your God, am a passionate God and I punish children for their parents' sins even to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But I am loyal and gracious to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. This God is different than other gods. He is not looking... For them, for, for them to appease him. He has already saved them. He has already started the conversation. God does all of this at risk of them saying, eh, you know what, God? Thanks for saving us from slavery, but uh, we're going to go over here now. He does that at a risk. There's always a choice. God starts the conversation. And then asks for their complete allegiance to accept who he is. And this is where, if you read my midweek, I got this quote that I love so much. God wants all of us, heart, soul, pots and pans, the whole ball of wax. I love that quote. Everything. Everything is back to him because he has brought forth himself and saved first. He moves to humanity first. Humanity does not move to him. And so this starts a history of a people that are aligned with that God. And that is exactly what the Hebrew Scriptures, the entire Old Testament is about. It is about their relationship with this God. This God that's different. He's not manipulated. He acts first. And he brings forth what is needed as he determines, not as humans determine. Stanley Hauerwas and Will Willimon says this about this. This God is not a projection of our needs arising from our ego, but rather the one who saves by transforming our need. Take that in for a second. Sometimes we want to make God into what we think God should be. That's not the case. 
This God is who he is. As he identifies himself to Moses, I am who I am. I was who I was. I will be who I will be. So we don't get to conjure up and say this about God. Rather, God is the one who reveals to us. Karl Barth, who is a Swiss theologian of the 20th century, probably one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, distinguishes the God of our scriptures in this way. The scriptures provide revelation. Revelation is God's self-offering and self-manifestation. We only can know of God because of his revelation as the truth itself. Now, it's really, really important to keep this in mind because God is going to act as he acts throughout history. And there is going to come a point when he reveals himself in a very explicit way, and it's when we begin to see some differences. We begin to see, well, a new branch of God working. I am, of course, talking about Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth comes and begins to live in the first century among his own people. Jesus was not a Christian. Jesus was a Jew. Remember that for a second, okay? Because I think sometimes Christian, Christians get a little arrogant in this concept. They're like, well, Jesus was a... No, no, no. He was a Jew. He was the Jewish Messiah. He came to save his own people. And there are a number of, of passages that Paul talks about this, but actually Jesus talks about it. I'm not going to go into it too much. But in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28, a Canaanite woman, somebody who's not a Jew, comes up to Jesus and asks for help. And he's pretty hesitant to do it. And the reason is he is establishing that he is here to save his people first and then it's going to open up to the rest of the world. We're going to get to that here in a second. But it becomes very apparent that Jesus is different than all the other leaders of the Old Testament, all the other prophets. Because he asserts himself, he claims some things that no one else has claimed. And as he claims them, he then lives it. So we turn to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7, and we hear Jesus making a claim about who he is. Hear these words. Don't be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My father's house has room to spare, and if that weren't the case, would, have I, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When I go to prepare a place for you, I will return and take you to be with me so that where I am, you will be, also, you will be too. You know the way to the place I'm going. And here comes Thomas. Wait, we do? <laughs> Lord, we don't know where you're going. What are you talking about? How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you have really known me, you will also know the Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. All of Jesus' disciples who he's talking to are Jewish. And now it's not just Yahweh God. He's saying, Father, you know this God that, you've, that your ancestors have worshipped? That God who revealed himself here and there and all throughout our history? It's not just God, he is Father. And the way that you can call him Father is through me. And you know who the Father is because of me. That claim is not just, I'm just another teacher. That claim is saying, I am different. And as time went on, the church, with the help of the Holy Spirit, came to the realization that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And if you want to know who that God was of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, yada, 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 look at Jesus. The way to know this God is to follow Jesus Christ. David Busick says this, Jesus is not a way but the way, because he is the unique, visible manifestation of the invisible Father. But here's the deal, y'all. Here's the good news. Jesus didn't just come to show you the Jewish God. He came to make a way for all people. See, as Jesus taught to take care of the least of these, as Jesus healed others, as Jesus showed who this God is, he took care of wrongs in the world that weren't just unique to Israel. Which is why we believe that Jesus wasn't just the Messiah of Israel. He was indeed the Savior of the entire world. When Jesus says that there's a resurrection, you're like, really, Jesus? But then Jesus raises from the grave. When Jesus says, love your neighbor yourself, really, Jesus? Is this really possible? He forgives all sins through dying and being humble. You see, we come to recognize that Jesus wasn't just here for his people. He was here for you and I. Because he righted the wrongs of sin and death, which is universal to every single person in this world. Can you tell me anybody that you know who hasn't died? <laughs> or won't end up dying? It's universal, y'all. <laughs> right? Can you find, for me, anybody who has not done wrong to each other? You cannot. Every one of us have committed acts of wrong relationship against each other. We call that sin. And all of us have the pain of death in our lives. Jesus righted both of those things in his life. 
And so we follow his way. We follow not just his, his teachings, just because it was good, but because he actually lived out those teachings in human form. He, he basically showed us exactly what is possible for our lives. And so, Christianity is different because God became one of us and showed us the way of life. A way of life that does not look to seek after power and all the other things that we often do which end up hurting others, but rather to seek love by being humble, by serving, by giving. Karl Barth also said this, the presence in reality of the grace of God differentiates Christianity from all of the religions as the true religion. To accept revelation, one must be in a posture of weakness and humility. Sorry, that's a typo. Not humanity, humility. I want you to keep this in your mind. The way of Christ is weakness and humility. Because as we begin to relate with other religions you might find that we haven't lived into that. Now, as Jesus dies, as he raises from the grave, well, many within Judaism did not accept that revelation. So why is there a difference between Judaism and Christianity? Because Judaism does not claim Jesus as the Son of God. That is the primary difference. But there stands another community that's connected to us. And this is when we go back to Genesis. In Genesis, God comes to a guy named Abraham. And he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And Abraham's like, great! I'm excited. So excited that I'm getting impatient, God, because I'm getting older and my wife is getting older. And I don't think she can have a kid anymore. And so what happens is Abraham and his wife say, yeah, I don't think God's going to act like we thought. So how about this? I give you my servant, Hagar, and you have a kid. That way we can start, we can get this nation building process going. So Abraham has a child with Hagar. His name is Ishmael. And God comes back and says, um, no. No, no, no. Sarah's going to have you a kid. But she's so old. This was before it was bad to talk about your wife's age. She's so old. No, no, no. She's going to have a kid. And sure enough, they have a kid. His name's Isaac. And it is through Isaac that God makes the nation of Israel. But Ishmael is cast out by Sarah one day. And as Ishmael and Hagar are cast out of the household, they go into a very desperate place, into the desert. And it is there where, I'm telling you this, Genesis has this, okay? This is within Genesis. Genesis chapter 21 in particular, where God meets them and says, I'm going to make a great nation out of Ishmael as well. There is a promise from the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
the God who shows Himself through Jesus Christ, that promise is given to Ishmael. I will make you into a great nation. And, well, needless to say, if you, needless to say, if you go over the generations, the person who started Islam, Muhammad, is indeed a direct descendant of Ishmael. So Islam is always, has always been connected in this way. Now the difference is, is that Muhammad has visions, and he writes these visions down and says, this is what God wants us to be. And that's what the Quran is. It is the, revela- or it's, it's the visions that he has, and he writes them down himself, and this is who God is. That's a lot different than Judaism, that's a lot different than Christianity. But we really need to be careful as Christians in how we treat people who follow Islam. Because guess what? They are a great nation. Are they not? And should we be surprised by that when we have the words of God to Ishmael in Genesis? But there are a lot of, con- there's a lot of conflict between Judaism and Christianity and Islam, is there not? What's the way forward between these three? And I think it's really important, while it's, it's good to differentiate the different ways that Christians are from Jews and Christians are from Muslims, I think it's important to recognize those things. Maybe we are called to be maybe instead of going out and pursuing conflict with these other two religions and other religions, maybe we're called to be the place where we gather under God in Christ. Because guess what, y'all? There's a lot of truth in Islam. There's a lot of truth in Judaism. There's a lot of truth in some of the Eastern philosophies. Like seriously, if you begin to look at the teachings of Christianity, at some point, you will begin to see some overlay of other religions. You know what, you know what some near universal truths that a lot of the religions of our world believe? Stealing is not good. That's a near universal belief in almost all religions. Killing ain't good. That's almost a near universal thing in all religions. Respecting your family and your parents. That's a near universal thing in all religions. So why is there truth throughout all of these different religions? Is is it God like saying, hey, everything's going to come together? We don't believe that. We believe that Jesus is the way, but we do believe that God is bigger than the church. That God is working in this world and going to others before they even know about the name of Jesus Christ. That God is working in this world to bring everything to rights, even in ways that we can't see, even in ways that we haven't been a part of. We have a name for this. It's called provenient grace in our doctrine. 
And essentially it is, hey, you know a person who doesn't know Jesus and yet they love like Jesus loved? God's working in their lives. That's prevenient grace. The grace is going out to others. Prevenient grace essentially means that God works beyond the church's walls, the covers of Scripture, and the limits of human availability. In other words, just because the church ain't in a place doesn't mean that God isn't working there. Amen. And if that's the case, then we as Christians need to live in the way that Jesus lived in love, in peace, in pointing out how God is working in the world, in sharing our own witness of God in the world. We're just pointing to Jesus because Jesus is the only way that dealt with sin and death decisively. Jesus is the only way that the teachings were actually reality in his life. That Jesus is the way to be saved. So our job as the church is to point out and live like he did. I wonder if we've missed that in Christianity. I wonder if we've missed that. Because here's the deal. Sometimes we as Christians can get a little too high on ourselves. Thinking that we are the supreme. We are the purveyors of God's truth in the world become self-righteous to the point that we even pursue conflict amongst ourselves. This is the answer to the question of why there's so many denominations and traditions within Christianity. Because Christians have not lived humble lives. We have taken that revelation and said, we've got it all figured out. Well, I don't see it that way. Well, see ya, bye. The reason why we have Church of the Nazarenes and United Methodist Church and Anglican Church and Roman Catholic Church and Orthodox Church and Baptists and Presbyterians and Red Church, also known as non-denominational churches. The reason why we do this is because we have allowed a conflict of either interpretation, theology, or the way we think church should be to get in the way of our relationship with somebody else. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm going to go start my own church. We're a part of this. I'm not going to beat around the bush about it. The Church of the Nazarene arose from a United, a United Methodist pastor who was very tired of the Methodist church not reaching out to the least of these. But you know what? The Methodist church broke off of the Anglican church, which was the Church of England, by the way, because Wesley believed that Anglican church needed to come to the United States. And they're like, eh, let's just be in England. 
And the Anglican Church came into the world because the king wanted a divorce and the Pope said, nope. And the Roman Catholic Church came into the world because there was a split between what the Eastern Orthodox believed and what the West wanted to believe. That's just us. <laughs> that doesn't include Luther and all the other Reformation theologians and all the other reasons why we have all these churches. It's because we said, I've got the revelation down and you're wrong. So let's move forward. That's within, the, that's within the faith of Christianity, everybody. That's within the faith of Christianity. How do you think we've done it as Christians with other religions? Well, the church history is full of dark and sinful, messy events. We've burned people at the stake. We've launched wars in the Middle East. And guess what? We're still doing it to this day. We're not the, we're not the place where people can gather under God. Some of us are so obsessed with culture wars or taking sides that we have forgotten that we are called to be to follow Jesus in his way. What is Jesus' way? Humility, love, peacemaking, holiness. You know, what's really sad is that the church has allowed genocide and fascism in our history because they wanted power. They wanted stature instead of being faithful to Jesus. Maybe we need to take the Sermon on the Mount literally and seriously. Because there's too many Christians in the world that say, oh yeah, that's nice and everything, but did you see all of this violence in the Old Testament? Let's go for it. And Jesus saying, blessed are those who are poor. Blessed are those who are meek. Maybe we should take Paul's words seriously when he calls us to be ambassadors of peace, to be peacemakers in the world. It's not by holding the biggest stick, it's by bringing about reconciliation and forgiveness that Jesus brought through death. You know, there's a reason why Jesus didn't come back after he raised from the grave, and he didn't go to Caesar and said, huh. You know, your pilot guy, he crucified me, but now I'm alive. He didn't do that. Because humility is the way of Christ. It's not supremacy. It's not divide and conquer. It is weakness and humility. So, maybe, maybe, the church needs to really begin to claim the way that Jesus lived. Maybe that's going to bring about maybe a better way forward. As Christians, we are to take the path of Christ instead of going on crusades of disproving others, finding ways to make our position better, and doing violence in the name of God, who revealed himself in a nonviolent Messiah.
It's okay to differentiate. It's okay to know the differences. But the moment that you use it as a weapon against those who believe differently than you, you are coming at it from a place that Jesus is not. And that's how we begin to relate with others who believe differently within the church and out of the church. That is how we begin to live faithfully in the ways that God showed us to live. We as Christians are called to continuously love and continuously serve and continuously give and to continuously look for how God is working in the world and point it out. And we walk in the direction that He is moving. This is also why Jesus says, don't judge. Because judgment is His alone. Because it's really hard to see how God is working in somebody's life if you see the speck in their eye and you have a log in yours. It's really hard to love your neighbor if you're just looking for a way to show them how wrong they are or to prove how their God is the wrong God. You just love and you give and you serve and you show who Jesus is in your life. Trust that God is the one who saves the world, not us. We are not gatekeepers. We are not the judge. And I just want to say this here really fast, just to really challenge you. There are going to be people when Jesus returns and brings his kingdom in his fullness, there are people that are outside of the church that are going to be a part of that. And to everyone we say amen. And there are also people in the church that won't be there. So the moment that we think we've got everything, maybe we should hold the horses and lean back into the way of Christ of humility. Which comes to the last question. Do we need religion? We need to walk in the way of Christ. When the followers of Jesus were following him and after he ascended into heaven, they did not establish a religion. They just called themselves followers of the way. And I think that's a very good way that's a very good term for us to understand what we're called to be we're not called to be a religion amongst others we're called to walk in the way of christ to show who that god is and how he loves and how he saves it's not about sitting on debate stages and and going about and saying ha look at me i won Jesus won by losing, by giving himself to death for us. So that is the way we are called to be as Christians. So do we need religion? 
There are religious things to the way that we live. But the way that it's become can get toxic. And I get that some people will say, oh, semantics and yada, yada, yada. Let's just walk like Christ. And the Holy Spirit gives us that ability to do that. Let us walk in the way of Christ, friends, in humility and weakness, sharing love, peace, hope, and joy. That is how we relate to those who believe differently than us. You want to show that Jesus Christ is king of the world? Live like him. Don't get seduced by what this person says or this or that, this religion, this perspective, this science, this non-science. Follow the way of Christ. And we will be a place where people come and unite together in the love that He has shown. And we will walk in truth together, united in Him. May we live humble lives with others. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. You can also join us on Facebook Live. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, visit us at championnaz.org.